This podcast is brought to you by Pastor Stormy Swan and Faith Christian Family Church of Lubbock, Texas. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com. Good morning. Good to see all of you out today. Again, one of the highlights of my week is the worship with you, so we've been very successful today. I welcome all of you here. If you're a visitor, we're glad that you're here. If you need a Bible, why don't you get your hand up real high? I think it's very important that you see the Word of God. There's going to be some Scripture references this morning that I believe you'll really want to get a hold of. Once you get your Bible, go with me to the book of John chapter 4, and we will begin this morning now. As we go to John 4, last week we were in the book of Exodus chapter 20. The book of Exodus is where it's the Ten Commandments, not the Ten Suggestions, the Pick Fives. It's all ten of them. And so we got into verses 8 through 11 on the Sabbath. To rest on the Sabbath. Remember the Lord said, you work six days, and the seventh day you need a rest. That's what God said. And then on that day, not only are we to rest, we are to worship. So there's a Sabbath worship, and there's a Sabbath rest. Now, we can blow it off, we can act like it's not that big of a deal, but yet it found its way in God's top ten. So when I look at that, the command to obey that, do I obey it or do I not? And one of the things I believe God is showing us there is how to discipline ourselves with our time. Because if not, there'll be all kinds of distractions. The three areas that you'll be distracted on is an area called work, an area called family, and an area called recreation. Every one of those aren't bad things, but they're designed to steal your time from God. And so I must look at this the way God says it is. So the way I obey God reveals if I'm submitted to God. And so we're going to talk about the Sabbath worship today. Now, if you were to ask me what worship is to me, the the best word I could describe would be His presence. Just to get in the presence of God. And I believe everything we do here in the morning is trying to get you into the presence of God where you come in and you worship Him. Listen to the definitions of worship. It's to bow down. It's to reverence. It's an act of submission or even surrender. And so God wants all of us. Love the Lord thy God with all your heart. Not half-hearted, not partial, not a little dabble, do you? So again, we begin here this morning in the book of John chapter 4, and we're going to study worship today, and I believe it'll help you. So as you're going to John 4, I'm going to begin into verse 20. But before we get there, this is a region called Samaria. The Jews would not go into the region of Samaria because the Samaritans were were a mixed race. They were part of Syrian and part Jews. And so they would have no commerce with them. They would no have interaction within them. But it's interesting to me right here, the Lord Jesus, he goes through Samaria. And what it showed me, he didn't have a problem with people. Actually, he wanted to be good to all people. So he runs into this woman, and he begins to read her mail. And ultimately, you know what she says to Jesus? She says, I perceive you're a prophet. She's brilliant, isn't she? What what an evaluation. And so we begin here in verse 20. Our fathers, and this is this Samaritan woman, she said, they worshiped on this mountain. Now, the mountain was a thing called Mount Gerizim, and she said, this is where we worship. And you Jews say, 
that in the Jerusalem is the place where he ought to worship. So now she begins immediately with this theological issue. Do we worship at Mount Gerizim or do we worship in Jerusalem? Well, watch what Jesus responds to that. Verse 21, and Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither worship on this mountain, Mount Gerizim, nor in Jerusalem, comma, worship the Father, period. So guess what Jesus is identifying there? He's saying it's, it's not where you worship. It's how you worship. It's who you worship. It's what he's getting over to. Now, here's the thought on this. God all along, his desire was that men would worship from our heart, from our core. God never intended us to come into a temple that was created by men's hands. God says, I want to get in your heart. And so when he gets in my heart and your heart, guess what that means? You can worship anywhere. You can worship anytime. And that's his goal. Keep reading with me. Verse 22. You Samaritans, you worship what you do not know. Now they worship carved images. And he said, you guys don't even know what you worship. But we know, the Jews know, what we worship. We worship Father God. The great Jehovah. And look how he ends verse 22. For salvation is of the Jews. You know what he's saying here? We worship Father God, but salvation only, 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 only comes from the Jewish Messiah, which was the Lord Jesus. Only. No other way. Verse 23. But the hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers. You may want to underline that. The true worshipers. The authentic worshipers. Not ones that are mechanical. Not one that it's just a performance. Not ones that it's just this outward act. But true worshipers. Now look how he identifies true worshipers. They will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. And so when you see right here their worship in spirit, you know what he's talking about? Anytime you see where the Spirit's mentioned in the Bible, it's from my heart. He didn't say you'll worship from your head. He said you'll worship from your spirit or your heart. The very core of your being. God wants us to worship from our heart. Heartless worship is not worship at all. Actually, when I just come in here and it becomes a ritual, a performance, it's an insult to God. God wants our heart. And when we talk about worship, guys, it's not talking about a musical tone. It's not talking about a certain voice or a song. It's something that comes from every one of our hearts. And each one of us, when we come in here, we have that opportunity. He said they'll worship in spirit and in truth. When you see the truth there, he's talking about biblical in integrity. Learn to worship God from the scriptures, from what God says or who God says he is. And when I find out who God says is, that's how he desires me to worship him. Not from a sense of comfortable, not a sense of my opinion, not a sense of being politically correct, but to say, this is what God said. So an illustration of that, God says, I'm the great Jehovah. I am the only God. I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I am that I am. 
And so when we begin to worship God in that sense, it comes from the Bible, and that's what pleases Father God. So he goes on to say, but the true hour is coming now is when the true worships will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship him. He's seeking. He's on a search for people that will worship from the heart. Verse 24, God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. In sincerity. Not in my flesh, but alive. My worship should be alive. It should be a a living thing that comes out of my heart. And again, I'm not talking about a performance. I'm not talking about just jumping around. But when I truly have a sense of I'm going to worship God from my heart, there's an energy about it. There's an excitement. There's a reverence that comes from my very being. Now, turn with me to the book of Isaiah chapter 66. Isaiah chapter 66. And again, the spotlight is always on God. It's not on me. It's not on my feelings. It's always got to be on God out of my very being. So we go to Isaiah chapter 66. And as you get there, the subtitle in front of verse 1, it says... True worship and false. So you know what that tells me? There's a way I worship him in a true sense, and there's a way I worship him in a false sense. So we begin, verse 1, Isaiah 66, verse 1. Thus says the Lord, or this is what the Lord says, Heaven is my throne, and earth is my footstool. Where or what is the house that you will build me? And where is the place of my rest? Where is my refreshing? For all those things my hand has made. And what he's talking about, everything in heaven and everything in earth, God made it. He goes on to say, and all those things exist on heaven and earth. And the Amplified says, being for me, says the Lord. But on this one thing, or on this one will I look. Now what you, I want you to see here, God is on a look. He's on a search. And there's one thing that he begins to look for. Now pay close attention what God's on a lookout for. He goes on to say, on him who is poor. Now he's not talking about poor in a sense of your bank account. When you read many other translations, he's looking for the humble. Ones that reverence God. Ones that acknowledge God. One of the definitions of humble is they don't claim their rights and they're not selfish. And so when I'm not humble, then I'm going to be full of pride. And in in 1 Peter 5, 5 it says, God resists the proud. And so a person that's humble is a person that calls out to God. Father God, I need you. I need you. The second thing he's on to look for, it says a broken or a contrite spirit. When I look at that, is a person that is quick to repent. It says, man, Father God, I, I blew it. I, I don't like disappointing you. I've never been that way. I don't want to disappoint you, Father God. I want to live for you. That's what a broken spirit is, that one that says, man, I'm going to live submitted to you, Father God. 
But look at the last one. Ooh, I jumped quick. And who trembles at my word. Who, who reverences my word. How about this? Who reverently responds to God's word. So I look at these three things that he's on a search for. Do those identify you? Do those identify me? Are you humble in heart? Are you that of a broken heart, a broken spirit where you say, man, I'm going to repent? And actually, how well do you fear God's word? Do you tremble at God's word? And these are things that he gets over to. And so what you're going to see here, he's going to get over on these arrogant and external sacrifices. Verse number 3, watch this. The message calls them your acts of worship. He who kills a bull as if he slays a man. He who sacrifices a lamb as if he breaks a dog's neck. He who offers grain offering as if he offers swine's blood. And he who burns incense as if he blesses an idol. One translation says your acts of worship are nothing more than acts of sin. The Amplified says the acts of a hypocrite's worship are abominable to God. So when you look at what he says in these verse 3, he says your hearts reveal three things. You're a murderer in your heart. You're a pervert in your heart. And you're an idolater in your heart. So these were all external Ways of saying, you know what, Father God, I'm bringing a sacrifice to you. I'm worshiping you, Father God, but not in God's eyes. This is what they weren't doing. And so literally when you see this, this was a form of worship. They were just going through the motions. Now look at his last words here in verse 3. Just if they have chosen their ways, their self-serving and self-centered worship, and their soul delights in their abominations. Their soul de delights in their detestable sin. So will I choose their delusions. You know what one translation says? I'll expose your nonsense. Listen to what this other also means right here. It means for delusions, your punishment. Your harsh treatment. I'm going to send them great trouble is what the Lord says. So watch what goes on here. And I will bring their fears on them. I'll bring the very things that they dreaded. Because when I called, no one answered. You ignored me. When I spoke, they did not hear me. They brushed me off. But they did evil before my eyes. And they chose that in which I do not delight. And so what you begin to see here. The Lord was repulsed by their worship. He didn't approve of their worship. It was all outward. It was almost a form of worship. So as I read that, I go back to verse 2. And remember what he was looking for? The humble. The broken spirit. The ones who fear his word. And so as you begin to look at that, I have choices to make. And the choices, it's not about me. It's about God. It's not about affirming myself. It's about affirming God. It's not about worshiping me. 
It's about worshiping God. So in other words, you know what he's saying? Get your eyes off of you and get your eyes off me. And this is God's desire for every one of us. Now, as I was studying one day, I came across this scripture. You who take good notes, this is 2 Samuel 24, 24. I'm going to quote it to you. This was King David, and he said, I will not offer to my God sacrifices that have cost me nothing. So a sacrifice that there is no sacrifice can't be a sacrifice. Better stated, a true sacrifice is going to cost you something. It's going to cost you something. I don't care who you are, it's going to cost you something. So unless you experience some form of cost or some form of sacrifice, you truly haven't given us what he's talking about. Now, in this passage right here, King David basically says that he would not give a burnt offering that didn't cost him anything. I'm going to go ahead and fill in the blank on what the burnt offering meant. When they would give a burnt offering, remember in the Old Testament, they would have to take an animal and they would have to slay that animal. But that animal had to be their best. So they went into the herd and they wouldn't look and say, well, there's the little run of the bunch, let's take him. Uh Uh-uh. They knew when God said to bring a burnt offering, it must be an incredible sacrifice. So that sacrifice had to cost them something. In the area of worship, if it doesn't cost you something, it's not a true sacrifice. Go with me to the book of Genesis chapter 22. Genesis chapter 22. Now, I, I want you to keep that thought, okay? It's got to cost me something. So we go to Genesis 22. This is the story about a man named Abraham and his son Isaac. The end of chapter 21, Abraham was in a region called Beersheba. When you study Beersheba, it was one of those areas that the Jews would frequent quite often. It was a place of worship. When he goes to Beersheba... He makes a covenant there with Father God. And the covenant says this. He's the everlasting God. He's the everlasting God. Now, there's times in my life I've heard that phrase. I didn't think much about it. How many of you remember the song, You Are the Everlasting God? He's the everlasting God. Well, understand this. That's a covenant name of Father God. He's the everlasting God. There is no other God, but He's the everlasting God. So so Abraham in Beersheba, he does this. And we jump into chapter 22, verse 1. It says, now it came to pass after these things, what he just did in Beersheba. That God tested Abraham. I want to highlight that, okay? God knew it was a test. And me and you know it's a test. Because God tells us it's a test. But Abraham didn't know it was a test. And every one of us in this room, we go through tests in our lives. You're going through a test maybe right now. And oftentimes, we don't realize that we're in a test. And so many times in those situations in our lives, we just blow them off. I believe in this thing called life. 
we go through a lot more tests than we ever realize. If you ever wanted to study that, go to the book of Job and look at all the stuff that took place with Job. It was test after test after test. Now, what I found out about tests with God, you pass them or you flunk them. But when you flunk them, God doesn't get tired of looking at you and move you on to the first grade when you, when you should stay in kindergarten. You know what God says? I'm going to give you another chance. I'm going to give you another. God says, I want to mercy you where you pass that test because anytime we pass the test, there's always a blessing attached to it. So in saying that, how many blessings have we missed out on because we blow off the test? So when I read this here about this guy named Abraham, this guy named Abraham, he was an incredible man of God. He wasn't called the father of many nations because one day he went and ate at P.F. Chang's and his fortune cookie said, you're the father of many nations. See, sometimes we look at these men and women in the Bible that are incredible and we think, wow, it was just their lucky day. No one their lucky day. They literally walked out the things of God in order to get to the place God wanted them and then they walked incredible blessings. How many have ever said this about another person? Boy, I'd love to have what they had, but do you want to go through what they did to get there? Woo, a lot of times we don't. Okay, okay, pastor, move on. God tested Abraham, and he said to Abraham, and Abraham said, here I am. You know what that denotes? I'm ready, and I fear you, Father God. I fear your word. Here I am. When the Lord knocks on your door, you say, I'm not answering it. When the Lord calls you, see, this shows me again here some things because you will see this pattern in his life later on. Here I am. Verse 2. Then the Lord said, Take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah, the hills of Jerusalem, and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I tell you. Now, I don't know if you've ever really read into this, but the Lord said, you take that covenant son named Isaac, and I want you to go to the hills of Moriah, and I want you to sacrifice him. I want you to offer him. Now, if you've never studied this out, They desired, him and his wife Sarah desired a baby forever. Abraham was 100 years old and Sarah was 90 when this covenant son named Isaac was born. I don't know if you've ever thought of that. And I look at that and I think, impressive, uh, Abraham. It's impressive, buddy. That was before Viagra. No, we better keep going, okay? (laughs) Better keep going. Scratch that. Don't don't put that on the tape, okay? (laughs) Let me get back to my train of thought here. So here's this covenant child. Whom the Lord said, I love him. You love him. Put yourself in this story just for a second. Every child, every one of us have their dear to us. Precious to us. And what would your thought be if God told you to do that? I'm not doing that, God. I'm not doing that. 
And again, he's in this test. And it's an intense test. To sacrifice him on the altar. One of the Greek words for altar means to slaughter. When he said offer him as a burnt offering, Abraham knew precisely what that meant. To offer a burnt offering with that animal, they would kill him. Their best, and they would offer that blood. So he, he knew intensely what God was wanting him to do. And, and when I read this, I think, what would I respond? Let me give you two thoughts off of that. Romans chapter 12, verse 1, says this. That we are to present our bodies a living sacrifice to God. which is your reasonable service. I think what she just said, I'm to present my body a living sacrifice. When you study what he's talking about there in Romans 12.1, it literally means I'm to present my body as an act of worship. He didn't say present your bodies a dead sacrifice. He said a living sacrifice and worship. So if I come in here and I have the thought, you know what, I don't like the music, I don't like the song, it's too loud, you put your hands in your pocket, you cross your arms, you've really been a great living sacrifice today. And God notices hollow. But something happens when I come in here from a living sacrifice from my heart. And it's not a performance. It's not someone saying, look at me. Look. It's saying, Father God, I'm going to worship you. I'm going to praise you today. We're all called to be a living sacrifice. How well are you doing? The second slant I want you to see is in John 14, 15. The Lord Jesus said this. He said, if you love me, obey me. If you love me, obey me. So you know what that tells me? Worship and obedience go hand in hand. So when you look at what he's talking about, Jesus isn't Lord unless you obey. The truth of the matter when I read this is you can't truly call Jesus Lord if you don't obey him. Oh, yes, I can. Yes, I can. No, not according to the scriptures. In Matthew 7, 21, the Lord Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, except those who do the will of my Father. So again, you can confess Jesus as Lord, but the proof of the pudding's in the eating. Do I obey him? If you look at salvation according to Romans 10, 9, and 10, it said, if you'll confess Jesus as Lord. It didn't say if you confess him as Savior. There's a huge difference between Savior and Lord. If he's Lord, I obey. You see this with this man named Abraham. Keep reading. Ooh, I got to move. I got to move. Verse 3. So Abraham rose early in the morning. There's a nugget for us right there. You know what that denotes? He didn't delay. He didn't sit down and say, you know, I think I'll eat a big breakfast and stop at Starbucks, 
When I get around to it, Father God, I'll obey. Do you know delayed obedience is disobedience? He obeyed quickly. He obeyed quickly. Keep reading. And saddled his donkey, and he took two of his young men with him, and Isaac his son, and he split the wood for the burnt offering. Now think about this. Here he is splitting that wood for the burnt offering, and he's got to know, this is why I'm doing it. I know what's going to take place. But he keeps doing it. And he rose and went to the place which God had told him. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes, and he saw the place of afar. The drama is beginning to build. The only thing is, is this. Him and God are the only two that know what's going on. And there's times in your life, only you and God will know what's going on. Ooh, this guy was incredibly obedient. Verse 5, And Abraham said to his young men, You stay here with the donkey. The lad, the young man, Isaac, and I will go yonder, and we will worship, and we'll come back to you. Now when he says here, we're going to go up and worship, he didn't say, we're going to go up and we're going to sing three slow songs. See, how many of us have thought that? Woo, praise, Pastor. It's two songs. And worship is two slow ones. And you know what? In this sense, we're going to go up and worship. We may sing a couple slow songs. We may set a, 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 an acoustic set. No. No. When you look at what worship here was, worship was tied to obedience. That when God asked me something, my obedience is a form of worship. Music is an expression of worship, but it's not worship. You can worship God without music. It's something that comes from my heart. And so when you look at what he said, the heart of worship is surrender, and surrender is always best demonstrated in obedience. So how well am I doing here? That word worship there means to exalt. It means to lift on high. It's an act of submission and surrender. So he takes him up. Many of you will remember this song. This was years ago. And it started out. The heart of worship. I'm bringing more than a song. I'm coming back to a heart of worship. And I'm bringing more than a song. I'm bringing everything I got. So to worship God in truth is not only to obey God, but it's to delight in obeying God. It comes from my heart. It comes from my very core. And to worship God or with the sacrifice of praise. My life is a living sacrifice. I got to die to myself every day. Why do I got to die to myself every day? Because if I'm a living sacrifice, that living sacrifice has the ability to crawl off the altar and say, I'm not doing this anymore. But when I'm a living sacrifice, it's throughout my day. I'm going to worship you today. So I'm going to paraphrase a little bit. He takes him up. He builds that altar. And Isaac says to him, Hey, Pop, 
Where's the animal? And Abraham replies and says, God will provide. God will provide. Same chapter, verse 11. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven. He said, Abraham and Abraham. So he said, here I am. He's got the knife. And the angel of the Lord says, Abraham, Abraham. He's still in tune with the angel of the Lord. Here I am. Here I am, Lord. Watch this. And he said, do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. Watch this, watch this. For now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. I know that you fear God. I know that you tremble at his word. And he said, why? Because you were actually willing to go ahead and sacrifice him. It's going to cost you. Verse 15. Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time out of heaven. And he said, by myself I have sworn, says the Lord. The reason he swore by himself because there's no greater name to swear by. And he goes on to say, because, look at this, because you have done this thing. You have done, done. You didn't just talk about it. You actually have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son. And because of your obedience, blessing I will bless you and multiplying I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven. As the sand which is on the seashore, and your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies. You know what? The Lord spoke to my heart and he said, How many of the blessings have you missed out that I wanted to bless you with because you didn't fully obey me? You brought a sacrifice, but it didn't cost you. There was nothing involved with it. Even when I come into worship on the Sabbath day, if it doesn't cost you nothing, it's worthless. And it's interesting to me that God commanded this. This was a commandment, but yet the church has gotten so far away from it. Where we've kind of looked at it like, well, you know what? I can take it. I can leave. It's no big deal. And then if I do come in here, it's almost like, well, God ought to be happy that I just showed up. I got a list of honeydews today, but I chose to come. You know what God says? Your worship is a stench in my nostril. It didn't cost you nothing. Woo, pastor, slow down. Keep reading. Verse 18, and listen to this, in your seed, in your seed, in your bloodline, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. The New Living says, it's all because you have obeyed my voice. So as I look at this, 
There's a generational blessings that's passed on through your seed just because your sacrifice cost you something and you were willing to obey. So anytime I see what the word of God says and I obey it, there's blessings attached, but not only for me, woo, my kids and my grandkids, they get a piggyback off of what I did. Oh, happy day. <laughs> woo Here's your definition from worship. An inner heart made audible. Whatever's in my heart, I begin to worship. I begin to worship. Now, I got a little advantage on you today because I knew what I was going to preach about. Kind of cheated. You guys didn't know you were in a test today. I knew you were in a test today, and God knew you were in a test today. My worship today was incredible. It's incredible. Just to sense the presence of God. And I said to him, Lord, I'm bringing more than a song. I'm going to raise my hands. I'm going to exalt you today. I'm going to tell you thank you. You're the everlasting God. You've been so, so, so good to me. Now here's the truth of the matter. I got up here real early. To get my heart right. And I said, Father God, I've cheated you. I've cheated you out of selfishness. Out of being self-centered about so many other things that seem more important. And it comes to that broken and that contrite spirit again that says, Father God, I don't want to do that. Let me ask you something today. Is your worship costing you anything? Is there any sacrifice involved? Why? I don't want people to think I'm crazy. It has nothing to do with people. It's just between you and God. Let me ask you something today. If you had close family members, close relatives, friends, co-workers in here, would it affect the way you worship? Because if it affects the way you worship, we need to check our hearts. I check my heart. I'm telling you something God's dealing with me on. To say, I'm in. I'm all in today, Father God. I'm all in. And so however you choose to obey, Exodus 20, verse 8, the Sabbath rest and the Sabbath worship. That's up to you. I'm not here to judge you. I'm not here to guilt you. I'm not here to shame you. I'm here to raise the bar and say, you know what? When I come in here, I don't care if it's Sunday mornings. I don't care if it's Wednesday nights. I'm bringing more than a song. I'm going to bring my heart. Thank you for listening today. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com.